Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Ladies Who League. I'm joined by a fantastic panel this morning. Good morning, Nicole Jeffries from The Australian. Good morning, Mary. Thank you so much for coming in. I'm so excited that you're here. Oh, it's good fun to be here. Excellent. And I've also got my friend Kate Allman from the Law Society Journal. Good morning, Mary. How are you? Very well. Thank you for getting up earlier. I know it's hard on a Saturday morning. And the coldest day of the year, but uh, <laughs> what the things we do for sport is I know. Worth it. The things we do for sport. I'm actually driving to Newcastle this afternoon oh, to watch. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> if Dan Gagai can add to his try-scoring blitz for the week. Well, absolutely. <laughs> I think Coach Nathan Brown will really be hoping that Dan Gagai I can um, pull out some more magic this afternoon. The first thing I wanted to have a bit of a chat about this morning was an article that my fabulous producer Brett Carter found in The Guardian. It's written by Anna Kessel and it's all about girls' body image and sport and the idea that body image issues shouldn't have a place in sport but it prevents a lot of young girls from getting involved. And the article urges us to celebrate female bodies in sport and I found the article really compelling. Yeah, I, I can't say that it's been my that's been my experience, frankly. But mm-hmm. maybe I'm just moving in the wrong circles. Um, <laughs> everyone, I've, when I was growing up with the girls that I grew up with, we all played sport, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I didn't feel like that was a barrier. I, cer- I certainly think that most women have body issues mm-hmm. <laughs> of some sort or another, but um, but I don't think in my time at that sort of very tender sort of teenage age that um, that I mean, that for most girls it was a problem. I can maybe there were there were a couple, but it it didn't seem like a general issue to me at that point. I, in my experience, I I'm the same. I never had body image issues, but I guess I'm lucky in the fact that I my family is naturally quite tall and slim. But I think about sports where body image is more out there in the media. For example, surfing. Um, and I know that a lot of female surfers have voiced their opinion on this and uh, the fact that more, most of their money and sponsorship comes from the photos they can take in a bikini. So if you've got a bikini body, it doesn't really matter that you might not be the best surfer. It's the fact that you take a good photo. So, for example, Silvana uh, Lima, the Brazilian twice runner-up in the World Surfing League Championship, um, she's actually said that companies refused to sponsor her because she wasn't pretty enough, whereas Al- like Alana Blanchard is one of the highest-paid surfers, yet she's ranked 56th in the world and she's never come close to winning a title. Not that that's taking away from her talent, but I don't think the same would happen in the men's league. Yeah. Well, there's also a little anecdote in the story about Monet Davis, who was the first girl to pitch a shutout in the Little League World Series and was featured on Sports Illustrated. And a journalist was asking Monet how she felt about the way that she looked in the picture. Mm. And the first thing she noticed was the way that her face looked when she was pitching the ball. And she sort sort of said, you know, I look a bit like a blowfish and I don't look <laughs> quite right. Mm. So the first thing she noticed was her face. And then she started commenting on how powerful she looked and how wonderful she looked when she was throwing the ball. And then the article goes on to say that we'd never say that about, say, Kobe Bryant, like his armpit hair is is out while he's taking a shot. <laughs> no and, one comments on and, the armpit And hair. I sort of thought, I, I did think about that, but I think it's just not an issue in sport. I think body image is an issue that 
affects all women. And mm. I know when I go out with my friends, often when we're taking photos, it has to be from the right angle and my friend has to stand on the right side of my body to, to get that perfect photo. And mm. I think the rise of social media and things like Instagram. Selfies. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas sort of the view that I take is that selfie. anyone that is friends with me on Facebook or social media really knows what I look like. And if I haven't taken the best photo on the day, then then that's okay. Mm. Yeah. Look, I, I do think there are a lot of pressure on um, women in the public spotlight to look mm. in a certain way. Um, that may not be um, their own issue, but it may be, as Kate was saying, it's yeah. it's kind of an external issue in that the expectations are of them to look a certain way in order to attract commercial sponsors or, in fact, media coverage. I mean, it's mm. always been a problem whereby... Um, if if you've got a male-run media, um, they are going to publicise the prettiest girls. Mm. Absolutely. I think as more women's sport is televised, perhaps it becomes the norm and we start to see women, you know, exerting themselves and being physical and tackling and catching balls and perhaps that becomes more normal and encourages other young women to continue playing sport. That's well, sort of my hope. So. Yeah. But when you look at um, the t- look at um, the broadcast media, TV in particular, um, this is not just an issue for sport. It's an issue mm-hmm. for the presenters as well. Absolutely. You know, because it doesn't matter what the man looks like. Or how old he is. Or how old he is. Mm. If he's competent, I think then that's he right. can do his job. But, um, but women are required to be pretty in order to do their you job. You look at the female journalists um, and... Most of them have been made up highly, you know, they're, they're dressed and everything to the way that we expect. And I think you're right in saying that it's a broadcast media issue, not necessarily a women's sport issue. So it's interesting that this article focuses on sport, but I think it's part of a wider discussion about, you know, mm. women and broadcast media and sport now positioned in society in the way that we're meant to look. And perhaps if we all keep working together and encouraging each other to get involved we can help to change those perceptions. Yeah, you would hope so. I mean, clearly it is a bit of an, is, in, is an issue because I know that Queensland Swimming um, had put in place a program um, to help young girls feel positive about their body image because obviously in swimming you are out there yeah. in yes. very little clothing in front you of a Lisa very Jones large audience. Example. Exactly, and Lisa has been part of that program to to make girls feel better about themselves mm. and to to help them to get through that period when you, I mean particularly with swimmers because often they're going through puberty mm. while they're in the public eye mm-hmm. um and that is incredibly difficult um to be you know parading around in a swimsuit in the eyes of the nation mm. while, while your body's changing and you're not sure what's going on and um you feel very um uncomfortable about it and um, so they, you know, they've put done some good work in that area because they realised it was necessary. And I suppose when I think about swimmers and going through puberty, I suppose this is an issue that would also affect young men. Like often we forget we forget that boys also go through body image issues. So mm. I think it's really positive that the sports recognise that this is an issue and are working together to try and you know, change those perceptions. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. Well, let's leave it there because we've got a big show coming up and I want to talk about some NRL. Fresh off the back of State of Origin, Queensland have sealed their 10th State of Origin series in 11 years with a 26-16 win over New South Wales at Suncorp on Wednesday night. I was lucky enough to be at the game and so many people came up to me afterwards and said, oh, Mary, you must be devastated. 
have to be honest, though, the experience at Suncorp Stadium was so outstanding that I think I got swept up in all the emotion and I wasn't bothered at all that New South Wales hadn't won. <laughs> sort of only sunk in a couple of days later. <laughs> what I think I was happiest about, though, was that it was a far more entertaining game than game one. Yeah, absolutely. It was a far better game. Um, yeah, and that tends to be the way. The first the first game is a bit of a sorting out and um, and then the second, third game, it tends to open up a bit more. Uh, so there were some really interesting comments in the paper this week as well about New South Wales and where to from here because, you know, they've only won one series in the last 11 years. Have New South Wales forgotten how to win? Well, a lot of the commentators are saying that, aren't they? I mean, Phil Gould was very mm-hmm. harsh on the leadership um, team in New South Wales. I don't think they've forgotten how to win. I think we really just need to give credit to an amazing Queensland team who know how to win and who've played together as a core for many years and they have, you know, some of the best players. Thurston is going to be a legend for years to come. Um, And they just, you know, they're just the better team and I think that we did well to hold them off and keep it to that score that we did, but Queensland was always going to win. I think the concern for New South Wales is that similar to game one, we actually looked dominant, I thought, in the first half of the game, but we simply weren't able to capitalise on points when the opportunities were presented to us. And then Dane scored that try against the run of play in the last 10 minutes and I thought, oh, here we go. This is Queensland, here they come. And that that was a very Queensland try. They seemed to be able to score those tries Mm. out of the run of play and capitalise on the opportunities when they're they're given to them. I just think it it always comes back to their playmakers Mm. and the confidence they engender Mm -hmm. in the players around them. Because you look at Gagai and, you know, Newcastle are not having the best season. He scored more tries that night than he has the rest of the season. (laughs) Um, And he said afterwards, that um, he just felt honoured to be at behind that team, and I think they just engender confidence and trust yes. in each in in the other players around them that they're going to make the right decisions, that they're going to pick the right options mm-hmm. at the right time, and you know it, it's those high press, pressure situations are so uncomfortable for mm. players that if anything that gives you a just a slightly better level of comfort allows you to execute so much Mm. better and I think that that's what the key is you know and they also bring those players along really well you know in terms of you know um, bringing them into the culture and helping them to understand and you know and they you you see those Queensland players and they grow from their club form. Mm-hmm. That was Greg Inglis's best game of the year. It is. He always lists for State of Origin. Yeah. Another one is Nate Miles, yeah. who yeah. has been struggling at a club level all year round. But then because he's part of that Queensland core, they always mm. bring him in for State of Origin and he performs so much better. I mean, less of the New South Wales players do that. Less of them play better at that level than they play at their club level. And um, I don't, I'm not quite sure what that is about the New South Wales culture, that it doesn't lift to that mm. next level um, mm. a lot of the time. and um, But but that's certainly something that's part of the, the Queensland culture, that they really trust those players. And maybe it is the the, the fact that they that New South Wales swaps players over so more, much more often, mm. that they individually feel under more pressure mm. um, because they because the New South Wales selectors don't display faith mm. in the same way. Well, you could definitely see those little errors in execution, like Jennings mm. knocking on twice over the line. Those 
small errors that Queensland didn't make and Queensland got right is kind of what put them over. And as you say, every time you make a little error like that, that's when your confidence gets knocked and the whole team feels it. So it's it's unfortunate. But I think we need to play together, as you say, um, and build that rapport within the team more rather than switching up the play all the time. I think what was positive for me was that the two debutants, so Tyson Frizzell and Jack Bird, I thought looked very, very good on debut. Mm, absolutely. And I'm hoping that that really encourages Laurie Daly to perhaps make some brave decisions when mm. it comes to game three and give some younger players an opportunity to shine. So after last night's game between Penrith and South, Bryce Cartwright was a standout in attack for Penrith. I think he set up three tries last night. There was this particular offload that was just magic to watch. He's got some issues in defence, but New South Wales, I think, have some issues in attack. So why not give him an opportunity Mm. in game three? We can see how he goes. And then I think it's time perhaps for some of the New South Wales old guard to move on. So I'm thinking Paul Gallen is obviously retiring at the end of this year. Perhaps it's time for Greg Bird, Michael Jennings to have had their last Origin series. I think so, or at least I think maybe rest them earlier, get some of the younger guys out on the field earlier. Fafita is one that I think that can change the game a bit. Um, Yeah, that's what I would say for the coaches. Well, the interesting thing about that, of course, is that most of those guys are younger than the um, the Queensland players mm. that no one in their right mind would be <laughs> saying, right. it's time for you to go, buddy. That's yeah. right. <laughs> That's right. So, right. look, where to from here? Hopefully New South Wales can win game three. Hopefully it won't be a whitewash. Yes. Oh, hopefully we don't have a repeat of last year. But um, <laughs> congratulations to Queensland. They were outstanding. Jonathan Thurston, he's going to be an immortal. He was absolutely mm. outstanding. Mm. Um yeah, very sad, New South Wales. I'm actually sadder now than I was after the game. <laughs> oh, well. And then we had a game last night between Penrith and the Bunnies. Um, the Bunnies, I think their season's over, losing 28 to 26. I think they won't be able to play finals football. That's the end for them. Yeah, very unfortunate, isn't it? Um, you know, it's it's kind of it's very interesting that those two teams are so close this year when there was a chasm between them, mm. you know, a year or two mm. ago. Um, that Pen and I think they've sort of come to the middle. Penrith have really stepped up. Mm. Obviously, they had such terrible injury problems mm-hmm. last year that didn't allow them to get any kind of a roll on. Um, and um, and yeah, and um, Souths have really dropped the level that they were playing at. I don't know what's going on with South. So Luke Curie led the missed tackle count last night, and Dave Tyrrell had five runs for twenty-four meters. Wow. Yeah, well, I mean, that was cl- there was clearly problems in the camp going it's back. Not quite to, right. Going back to that um, preseason story about the you know the stoush at Russell, Russell Crowe's place, mm-hmm. at, you know, mm-hmm. Coffs Harbour, where there was a bit of fighting and infighting, and it just um, that kind of was suggestive at the time that it's not the happiest place at the moment, and um, and that that affects on field play if you you know if there's you know, some discontent going around, that's a terrible thing for a club. Absolutely, and I think it's really been demonstrated on the field. But congratulations to the Panthers. So as I said, Bryce Cartwright was a standout. 
And Nathan Cleary, I was having flashbacks to Ivan Cleary. The genes are strong yeah, in looks, that family. He looks very like him. Of course, he's strong in that family. Far out, it really is. So it was good to see him get a try on debut. And I'm sort of happy for the Panthers because they had a rotten run last year with yeah, injuries. Yeah, they did. They would, they'd do some luck. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So maybe it's time for yeah. them to play some and finals a, And it's a very good young team and it's, you know, they're finally getting the chance to show what they've got. And, um, yeah, that's really good for the competition, I think. No, it is very good for the competition. What's also good for the competition, well, maybe not for the competition, but for me, is that Paramount have the bye this weekend. So that's a guaranteed <laughs> two points. <laughs> I'm very, very pleased about that. Uh, we'll take a quick break now and then come back and talk about the Olympics. Now, we've got a bit of an Olympic themes show today, and we are very, very lucky to be joined this morning on the phone by Carmen Martin, who'll be competing at her third Olympic Games after securing her Olympic berth with a 6-1 victory over New Zealand's Rhiannon O'Neill at the Oceania Qualification Tournament. Now, some of you might not know who Carmen is. It's pretty amazing that she's going to her third Olympics. Carmen competes in Taekwondo. So hopefully by the end of this segment, you'll all know Carmen, you'll all love Carmen, and she'll have some extra viewers cheering her on when she goes to Rio. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. Wow, what an introduction. Oh, I, I could have gone on for longer, to be honest, but, I, but I, wanted, I wanted to start talking to you. Now, Carmen, I wanted to ask, you were eight years old when you were introduced to the sport and were trained by your dad. Can you tell us about your earliest memories of Taekwondo? Um, well, my earliest memories include watching my older sister train and compete and also my dad, who's, who's a black belt, um, train and compete in Taekwondo. And of course, I wanted to be like my older sister and I wanted to do, um, Taekwondo just like she did. But it's kind of like school. Like I, I did it once and then I didn't want to do it again. And from then on in, my dad forced me to go to pretty much every training session. <laughs> so it wasn't a love at first sight, sort of, <laughs> after that. But it's certainly grown into a love from that. Now, Carmen, there might be some of my listeners that don't know much about Taekwondo. Can you tell us a little bit about the sport for our listeners who haven't watched it before? Yes. So Taekwondo is like fencing with your feet. We do a kicking sport and we try to get points with our feet. So it is a full contact sport where we can only kick to the chest area and to the head area. Um, we fight for three rounds of two minutes with a one minute break in between. And the person who has the most points at the end of those three rounds is the winner. Um, so Carmen, obviously uh, that, that doesn't sound like a very long period of time. How exhausting can that be just in those three two-minute bouts? Well, it is physical combat. So it is you versus your opponent. Uh, you have to be completely focused. Um, not only are you trying to set up your own tactics and do all your, you know, top kicking skills, you also have to um, be aware of your, what your opponent's doing because equally they're trying to score on you. So you can't just force what you want to do on, on to them. You have to be uh, aware if, if they're going to be attacking you, what they're going to be doing on the defense. Um, and you also have to think about things like timing and distance, where the coaches are. The coaches are positioned so you can hear them, where the referees are positioned so you can get the, the best um, head scoring or face shots um, to make sure that they've got a clear vision. 
Um, and it is, as I mentioned, full contact. So we're kicking to the body at full contact. We're kicking to the face at full contact. So um, a lot of you know reaction, fast reaction, explosive movements, um, a lot of jumping, bouncing, kicking, moving. Um, it is very intense uh, for those, you know, that, that nine-minute bout, like we're completely drenched in sweat and our faces are red. We look pretty gross, um, but we, we have to make sure that, you know, we're giving everything. Is it more mentally or physically grueling then? Uh, I think that it would be a hundred percent combination of both um, because it is decision making. You have to have that complete focus. Uh, you want to be in the moment, even though you do have some tactics on the back of your head um, or can hear some tactics from the coach. You're going to be focused on completely what's happening in that present time, in the seconds that are happening in front of you. Um, so physically, you know, we we train six out of the seven days a week, um, twice a day to get to our physical best possible form as we can. Um, and then when it comes to the competition day, it, it is a combination of, of mentally making good decisions on the spot um, as also being, you know, physically at our, our best. So Carmen, you're basically getting kicked and hit and jumping around like crazy full on for these two minute rounds. <laughs> and then you've got your six days a week of training. How sore are you all the time? Like you're just <laughs> getting battered and bruised and you've got that like that muscle soreness that all people have when they're training for an elite sport. How do you recover like from all that training and fighting? Um, it, it can get quite exhausting and I am tired like 90% of the time of the day. Um, I have to really stay on top of my recovery and that includes things like wearing my compression tights and going for naps. Uh, I'll have a yeah. I'll have I'll have a nap yeah every day. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It really is because there's just so much adrenaline going through your body Mm. um, and through your system that you're just so tired afterwards. And you know you have that adrenaline, you have that tension in your body because you need Mm. to be able to take those kicks. So you're blocking, you're moving. You know your chest and your arms are getting kicked. You're you're moving. um, You know your legs and moving your head away from these face shots, um, which can be, you know, really exhausting, not just physically, but mentally. Um, so yeah, and, and ice baths, like everything to, to make sure that you can recover in between those sessions and keep your body in one piece. Mm. Carmen, I know the Taekwondo team that is heading to Rio is very tight knit because you'll also be competing with your sister, Caroline and your partner, Safwan. Uh, what's it like competing with your closest family members and going on this journey all together? Uh, I think it's a, a real big bonus. It's, I think, a, a luxury um, in the sense that we are such a tight-knit group and we love each other so much and want each other to succeed that, you know, we're willing to, to go through the toughest times together and really push each other. So um, not, not all teams are so close and um, I think genuinely want each other to succeed. Um, so we don't have that, you know, animosity or, um, I, I guess... Yeah, it's just really, you know, pure. It's pure love. It's, it's pure positivity. Um, we've been all doing this sport for nearly 20 years, or over 20, 20 years now. Um, so we know how much we've had to sacrifice. So being there to, to pick each other up, um, we all have our ups, ups and downs, and we all peak at different times, like throughout our career. So, um, yeah, it's been a long journey, and it's definitely been a bonus to be able to actually finally make it together as a group. And Carmen, I also was interested in 
other sorts of martial arts. So do you think that the rise of UFC, which is really, really popular at the moment, has had any impact mm-hmm. on Taekwondo? Mm-hmm. Do you think it's brought greater interest to your sport? I definitely think so. Because um, a lot of the UFC um, and MMA kicks um, are learnt from Taekwondo. They actually go to, you know, Taekwondo schools and clubs to learn those um, techniques. So I think it's been great. I think it's been great for female fighters in particular. Uh, there's, you know, such a big interest in, you know, fighters like Ronda Rousey and mm. Holly Holm and recently like the Misha Tate fight, which just, um, yeah, had so many viewers. Um, you know, myself and Safwan, we, we went to the, the Melbourne UFC match um, and it was a main event for two female fighters. So it was just awesome to see that, you know, the, the community is starting to get behind female fighters and, um, you know, in a country like Brazil where Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and UFC and MMA is so popular, you know, we're expecting a really big turnout and, and a lot more support. Have you competed over there before, Carmen? Do you know what to expect? I haven't competed in um, Brazil before. Um, we've been to Mexico a few times, which I think may be a little bit similar, I guess, in terms of, um, you know, the, the standard of living might be, uh, you know, quite a lot, a lot lower than what we're used to here in Australia. But on the flip side, the people are incredible. Um, I know when I competed in Puebla at the World Championships, the stands were completely overflowing, all the tickets and sessions um, were sold out and, you know, the kids and families were, you know, wanting signatures of all the um, athletes. So uh, I'm really expecting it to be a fantastic atmosphere and, um, yeah, just so much energy, which I can't wait for. And Carmen, do you have a favourite moment in women's sport this year so far? Uh, I definitely... Um, was really, uh, you know, happy to see um, the Matildas be so successful. Um, was that this year or the end of last year? I think they've been pretty successful think, over the last two yeah. years. They've been doing really, really <laughs> yeah. well, really well, which is great um, to see. Yeah, I just think that, you know, they, from going from, you know, not getting any TV time um, to getting mm-hmm. onto, you know, SBS and now, you know, still like on Seven Mates, um, but they're you know, starting to get a lot more exposure and um, they've been so successful for so many years. Um, for me, you know, it's just really proud to see them, you know, break the barriers in terms of media, um, you know, starting to get a lot more recognition, What you know, what they deserve and, um, you know, start getting that exposure, which so many female athletes um, need to continue on um yeah, just in their careers. And I think we just need to keep breaking those barriers and to watch them succeed. I think that's been really motivating for me personally. It feels like it has been a bit of a watershed um, year for women in sport, um, particularly in the team sports where there, there seems to have been a lot more acknowledgement and coverage in the last year or so, Carmen. Do you think that is encouraging for all female um, athletes to see that starting to happen? Yeah, of course. Like, um you know, I was uh, at the MCG a few days ago for uh, Olympic Day um, and speaking to, like, young students um, and female students in particular, some who were, you know, playing AFL, and I was like, that's amazing. You know, you guys must be so excited about, you know, the, the female league coming up. And they're like, yeah, it's so good, you know, about time. And, you know, it's so motivating to, to see, um, you know, finally there's going to be leagues for, um, you know, proper national leagues you're forming for, you know, females in sports like AFL, which have just been so male dominant. And, you know, even 
the partnership between netball and, and AFL, I think is fantastic. Whatever we can do to encourage females to stay in sport and to keep as, uh, active is so important. And I think that people will watch these sports on TV. It's just it needs to be put out there. Like, I, I think that that excuse is becoming really outdated now that mm. women's sport is boring to watch. It's like, no, 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 we just need that opportunity. Give us that opportunity and you'll see the supporters will come. Carmen, I'm sitting here with the biggest smile on my face because not only are you fantastic at your sport, but you seem very across all other sports. We're going to have to get you in the studio at some point to come and just have a chat about sport because it's been a real joy chatting with you this morning. Uh, thank you very much. I'd, I'd love to. And, yeah, I could talk talk about female sports all day. So, um, yeah, anytime. Um, yeah, I'll be there. Thank you, Carmen. And all the best for the Olympics. You've got, I think, four new fans in the room this morning. And hopefully <laughs> hopefully after my show this morning, uh, you'll have plenty of more people watching you and your sister at Rio. been a very exciting week because on the 23rd of June the world celebrated Olympic Day and excitement is definitely building as we find ourselves only 41 days away from the opening ceremony on 5th of August this year. Nicole can I ask you where we sort of are in terms of qualification and team selection and you know when we expect the majority of the athletes to be ready to go and and to be heading over? Yeah, well, I mean, the next few weeks is going to be hugely busy because at the moment there's less than half the team being selected and it all has to be done by, I think it's July 11. Mm-hmm. So that's about three weeks to um, to get every, get 200 people selected for that team. So, yeah, it's going to be very, very busy the next few, mo- few weeks. Um, there's some major ones to be selected, um, the two hockey teams, um, uh, men's water polo, um, Basketball, I don't think they're, they're finalised yet. Um, the cycling, cycling well. team, mm-hmm. yeah, and, no, there's, and, and there's more track and field athletes to be named. So there's, um, there's going to be quite a lot of activity the next few weeks as they, um, they finalise that team. Very exciting. And we're, we're lucky to have Carmen still on the line. Carmen, can I ask you about how the lead up to these Olympic Games has been different from the other two Olympic Games that you've participated in? Um, it's been quite different. Uh, we've had a lot more input from the government The government in terms of funding. So we have been able to travel a lot more and gain that international uh, exposure, which we need in order to be competitive. Um, but it's also been different in terms of, I guess, my, my age, like getting older and finding it a bit harder to recover and um, bounce back from things like jet lag and um, yeah my my fatigue's been a little bit of an issue going into these Olympics um, but it's been a a really tough but very motivating um, road the last four years. And there are a couple of really big issues coming out of Rio. The first one that I wanted to talk about was security. So this week the AOC called on the Rio Games organised to mobilise their security force because there was um, a robbery at the beginning of this week of Paralympian Liesl Tesh. what do we think needs to happen here, Nicole? Do you think that the security measures are okay and the curfew that, you know, the AOC is suggesting for the Olympic, for our Australian Olympic team, is, is that a good idea? Um, look, I haven't been over to Rio um, recently, so um, I can't really say what it's like on the streets there. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I certainly think that... Um, they're in a really difficult place, Rio, because they don't, you know, they're, they're running out of cash. They're, economically, they're really struggling. Financially, they're really struggling. 
Um, and um, Kitty Chiller said um, last week that what they'd heard um, about this incident is that it happened on a Sunday morning. There were plenty of people around. Um, it was, you know, it was daylight. It, it wasn't like they were in, off the beaten track at all. Um, but uh, one of the things that's happening is that um, is that um, that some of the police aren't being paid properly. It's you know they're public mm. servants. So if the government's running out of cash, then public servants are possibly not being paid properly, and so therefore there were no police on the street on a Sunday morning. Um, so that's a big issue and that makes you wonder whether, in fact, they could mobilise that security force early. But there's no doubt that um, people arrive for the Olympics well in advance of the opening ceremony and it, it's, it's going to be a terrible look for, um, for Rio if, um, if people are being mugged and robbed um, and, and, God forbid, um, someone gets really badly hurt. Um, and another thing that happened during the week that was revealed was that one of the Australian um, headquarters staff for the Olympics was in a restaurant in Ipanema, which is regarded as one of the safer areas mm. of the city. Um, and um, their waiter was at an, the table next door and someone came in and shot him three times in the stomach. Wow. Oh, my goodness. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's a pretty scary thing. For most of the athletes for, for their competition, they're going to be inside the Olympic bubble mm -hmm. where the security is. So the, during the actual Olympics, you're as safe as you could possibly be. Um, it's kind of that the, around the fringes where you're outside um, before and possibly after. And, um, and it's the friends and family of athletes who are there who obviously that the, the athletes will be worried about to make sure that they're safe and secure. Mm. Carmen, is this something you're worrying about? I mean, are you taking any of your family over and are they thinking about those security issues as well? Oh, definitely. I think that they have to, you know, be safe and, and be aware when they're out and about on the, on the streets. Um, my parents, a couple of years ago, um, they had the, the, the pleasure of, of going to Brazil um, on a holiday as, as part of like a cruise that they did with, with some of their family friends. Um, and even there, they, they, you know, they sensed a little bit of, you know, the, the tension um, on the streets and they knew that they had to stay out of um, certain areas. And we've travelled to, to places like Mexico before where, you know, we've had um, friends who were robbed there, who um, I think that there was a bus full of um, delegates who were also robbed, at, I think, at gunpoint. Um, wow. And we travelled to places like Papua New Guinea as well for the Pacific Games. Um, and we had a lot of security at that time, so we were kept in that bubble. So I think more so it is that, you know, the family and friends who are out on the streets. But mm. we've been doing this sport for a really long time and um, our family has travelled with us for some of those major tournaments and they are quite, you know, street street smart in the sense of avoiding those areas and keeping together in groups, getting to their mm. hotels um, in at the night, you know, when night starts to come around. Carmen, can you go through the um, the um, the advice you've been given from the AOC as, as to what to do in that circumstance if you're confronted by somebody? Well, first and foremost, we're... We've been um, advised that we we won't be doing any sightseeing before we compete and during the duration of the Olympic Games. Um, the AOC has advised us to stay in the Olympic Village or in the Olympic sort of safe spots where we can visit our family in particular areas. Um, 
And things like uh, your credit cards, um, if you can avoid, you know, taking a lot of personal valuables with you. Um, I know that um, Caroline Buchanan, the, the BMX world champion, she had her credit card skimmed when she was over there for a tournament. I think it was late last year. So just little things like that, making sure that you lock your valuables away um, in the safe that's within the room before you leave. Try to avoid taking any unnecessary valuables with you to Rio in the first place um, and just stay in um, you know, Olympic safe zones while we're over there. And the other thing, obviously, is to, um, if someone confronts you with a gun, give them what they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't try any Taekwondo on them. Yeah. Yes, no, Don't. that is. Don't try Even to be a hero. probably go well. <laughs> I guess that's the, the beauty about, you know, martial arts 101 is. Um, Self-defense. Yeah, you, you get caught, just, just run. <laughs> give them give them. Exactly what they want, run and um, try to get to a safe zone. But first and foremost, like what we do teach is avoid those high-risk areas. Travel in a group, you know, try not to be um, in a small group. Have a big group with you, um, you know, looking, you know, that that you're looking around, you're aware of your surroundings. Um, Sometimes if you're looking down, you don't Mm -hmm. show a lot of confidence. Um, If you're in a smaller group, you're you're more likely to to be attacked. Mm. I think the other big issue that, people are talking about when it comes to this Olympics is the Zika virus. So there was news this week that Rory McIlroy has pulled out of the Olympics because of fears about the virus. And I think that's actually a story in itself because mm-hmm. it's quite significant for a sport that is only returning to the Olympics after a 112 year absence. Um, Nicole, have, have people been speaking to you? Are you worried about this? Is is this a concern? Um, not particularly because, I mean, we've, Obviously, there's been competition before in um, areas that have uh, mosquito-borne diseases. Mm-hmm. Um, the Delhi Commonwealth Games, um, dengue is quite a big disease in um, in Delhi. Um, there were cases of dengue at the 1998 Commonwealth Games in Kuala Lumpur. Um, so the advice on mosquitoes is always the same, don't get bitten. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So be very, very careful about not getting bitten. Um and um, and so it's I mean and obviously there's malaria I don't think it's there's malaria actually in Rio but I think there is dengue so um, even before Zika um, the the protocols would have been the same for athletes um, and for anyone visiting is to swath yourself in uh, as much DEET as you can get mm-hmm. <laughs> get onto it without without actually having your skin fall off so um, yeah fill your so, bag Carmen fill your bag with with Aerocard tropical <laughs> <laughs> strength. Uh, yep. How do you feel about it, Carmen, about that issue? Um, it is a concern um, for a lot of athletes because, you know, the Olympics marks four years of hard work and, you know, now that we're getting older as, you know, female and male athletes, we are considering having families straight after the Olympics and there's going to be many people in the same position and we also have some girlfriends travelling over with us and I have my brother travelling over as a training partner and even he's asking me, like, you know, what does this mean? What if I want to have kids later on? Like, does the, the virus stay in my system, you know, the whole time? And I think that that's still unclear, like how how long if you were to get bitten, will you know, you still be at high risk. Like I've heard two different sort of thoughts that you can, you know, pass it on later on or is it only it's only if you are currently pregnant at that time mm-hmm. and you are bitten or your partner is pregnant at that time and then, you know, you engage in, in intercourse and then you, you infect your you know, your 
your wife or your partner. So it's still a little bit unclear. I don't know if it's sort of like, you know, chickenpox. If you get infected, then you, you know, may show symptoms for like a couple of days or a week, but then it sort of, you, you've had it once and, you know, you're not likely to have the symptoms later on in, in your life. As I understand it, the difficulty is that um, for three quarters of the people who actually get the virus, um, they they display almost no symptoms mm. at all, so they may never mm-hmm. realise that they've had it. And the other issue is that um, it's still such a new threat that the research is still going on now, and the advice is developing. Even in the last yes. six months, the advice has changed a bit. Initially, they were just saying. Uh, born by mosquitoes. Now they're saying they that they think you're being sexually transmitted. Um, mm-hmm. That you see varying advice in terms of how long you could possibly um, transmit that virus from sort of six months to two years um, mm-hmm. afterwards. So it's tricky to know. I mean, I think that there are certainly people who are taking precautions. I know. Um, Greg Rutherford, the um, British um, long jump champion, um, has taken the step of freezing his sperm. Mm. Um, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, to, to make sure that if he actually gets the virus that, um, that they have, that if, if they want to have children afterwards, that, um, that they know that they've got an option there. Um, I think I know other people who are talking about taking a blood test when they get home just to make sure that, the, mm. that they haven't been infected by the virus so that they can go ahead with their lives. Well, it's good to see people so. people thinking about it, um, which I think is the main thing. And, and it's sort of similar to the security issue and being safe and being aware and taking every possible precaution. I want to sort of end the segment on a happy note and come and you're going to have to take off mm-hmm. your Taekwondo hat, I think, for this particular question. <laughs> but Nicole, I'll start with you. I, I just want to ask which sport or which team, which athlete are you most looking forward to seeing compete at the Olympics this year? Look, um, because my background is in swimming, um, mm. I am <laughs> really keen to see them go well this time. I mean, it was it was really difficult in London for that team and they are under a huge amount of pressure all the time at the Olympics to um, to produce the medals, to get the team off to a good start, to create the momentum that the rest of the team can then tap into and carry on. Um, and um, I think that they've done a fantastic job in turning that around in the last four years and hopefully we'll see that come out in, in Rio. Mm. Kate, what do you think? Uh, well, I'm a big hockey fan and a hockey player, always have been, so I'll be watching the hockey roos and the kookaburras, mm-hmm. uh, especially because the kookaburras have just won the Champions Trophy over in London and that mm. was with a second string team. They're missing a lot of their kind of older uh, leaders in the team uh, who are being rested, so that should be an entertaining entertaining um, competition. The other one would be the the women, the hockey roos, and, you know, they've just been beaten, unfortunately, by the Netherlands. So uh, we'll look to kind of get back at them in mm-hmm. the Olympics. We've always got a strong chance and it was a 2-1 loss. So hopefully we can turn it around and take away the gold. What about you, Carmen? Uh, I would uh, love to be able to see the, the female water polo team. Mm-hmm. Um, some of, you know, my friends have been, you know, lucky enough to make the team. I've seen how hard, luck isn't, you know, the word to describe it. I see how hard they work in the gym and, you know, they've become my friends now. Like we've been working towards this for the last four years. Um, so I'd love to see water polo because it is a bit, you know, of wrestling and physical fighting <laughs> in the water as, <laughs> as well as, you know, swimming, which I have a big respect for because I'm so bad at it. Um, and 
Also boxing. So I'd love to see um, to see how Shelley goes and some of the other um, boxers because we have trained together um, at the AIS and we've done camps up there and, you know, to see other combat sports um, compete at their top level I think will be really exciting. Well, we've got a great mix here. I'm very excited about seeing the Matildas and the women's rugby sevens team who are both, mm-hmm. both teams are looking like medal chances and... To be honest, if the Aussie Rugby Sevens women's team doesn't come back with the gold, I think I'll be a little bit disappointed. Yeah, I think I'll be <laughs> uh, So they're looking like standouts for me. And Carmen, I'm definitely actually going to be watching some taekwondo now as well. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoy it. Time for my favourite segment, Mary's Mix-Up. One of my favourite shows is Offsiders, so it was such a joy to see Gerard Waitley joined by an all-female panel last week for the first time with Caroline Wilson, Georgie Robinson and Mel McLaughlin. How good is it to see talented women getting together talking about sport? I love it. Uh, Now, do you all remember that moment in State of Origin where there are 15 minutes to go and James Maloney comes up with an intercept and streams towards the try line? Shout out to touch judge Nick Beschel, who was one of the only ones making serious headway on the Blues half. So he was super speedy and was covering eight to nine metres a second. Uh, Sometimes we forget how seriously fit our referees are. Another cool story came from SBS Zella this week, which was all about our women's water polo team, the Aussie Stingers, who were informed that they'd made the squad, like the Olympic squad, by members of the gold-winning Sydney team. I thought that was really nice. Um, And finally, a shout-out to the Gold Coast Titans, who last week made the day of a young fan, Edison. Uh, Will Zillman ran on with Edison onto the field, and Edison got to sit on the sideline. It absolutely made his day and was such a positive news story coming out of the Titans this week. Radio Hub is Australia's premier podcasting facility. With high-quality sound equipment and production services, Radio Hub is a one-stop shop for all your podcasting needs. So, if you're ready to jump into the exciting realm of podcasting, contact Radio Hub on 0402 870 900 or email info at radiohub.com.au. It's been a wonderful show this morning. Nicole, thank you so much for coming in. Oh, my pleasure, Mary. It's been great fun. It's been great meeting you and I can't wait to um, listen and see all your Olympics coverage coming up. Kate, thank you also for coming in. It's been great having you again. My pleasure, Mary. As always, I feel a little out of my league, but it was such a great opportunity to meet Nicole and chat with you, obviously, coming in to chat about sport on a Saturday. Can't think of many other better things to do with my morning, so thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. We're definitely going to get you back during the Olympics, I think, when we'll both be, I think, very, very tired. As long as we can have a TV on showing the Olympics. Well, we've got a TV up, so I think we'll be all good. (laughs) We can do live commentary of some of the sports. Good. Uh, Well, thanks everyone for listening. Be sure to leave us a review and let us know what you thought of the show. I did a bribe last night for a review, so I have to give a shout out to the Melbourne Demons for my friend Daniel. Thank you for leaving us a review. We do take bribes here. I'm very, very open to that. I've got to jump in my car. I'm heading to Newcastle. Hopefully Nathan Ross scores a try this afternoon and does a backflip for us. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Mary Kay from Ladies Who League. Australia
Lazy Lady. Lady.